If you have your Bibles with you, would you open them with me to the book of Philippians? We've been studying the book of Philippians, and we pick up this morning where we left off last week, finishing off uh, chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Remember chapter 2, just for the sake of review, for just a moment, chapter 2 is a section which began with instruction to the church concerning how we ought to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, namely with humility, right? We lead with humility. We lead with serving others, considering others better than ourselves. And that call was undergirded by one of the most glorious passages, not just in the book of Philippians, but in the whole of the Scripture. As Paul holds up the Lord Jesus and the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, and he does so in him-like fashion. And then last week, Paul gave us some practical guidance on how that humility that Christ showed, how we exhibit that mind of Christ, how, how that works itself out in our world. Stars that shine in the midst of darkness. Now today, as we finish off chapter 2, we come to a portion in this personal letter that is, well, personal. Names are dropped. Common acquaintances are spoken of. Travel itineraries are uncovered and gone over. And the question comes for us as we read these kinds of passages in the Scripture is, is there anything here for us? Or is this just bound in time and place in Asia Minor in the first century? Well, of course, you know what my answer is going to be to that. Of course, there's something here for us. Because these are inspired words of the Holy Spirit passed down to us. For what the Lord gave to the Philippians and us here today in this passage that I'm about to read to you, are two models of the life of Christ, two shining examples of how doctrine lives itself out, two pictures of selfless service in the name of Jesus. So even before I read it, we hear Paul's encouragement, you're about to hear it in verse 29 concerning Epaphroditus, his encouragement specifically to the Philippians is to receive him and to honor him. And I would add for us here today, as we receive these words and these stories, and by virtue of these stories being captured in Scripture, the admonition to us comes, learn from them, imitate them. So let's dive back in. Philippians chapter 2, I invite you as always to stand for the reading of God's Word, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through the end of the chapter, 19 through 30. Listen as I read, this is God's Word. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. 
How as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lori Ann Pena, March 19th, 2022. True to her fire spirit, Lori was born in Seattle on the hottest day of the year, though she had no children on her own. By way of the therapeutics stylist's chair, she nurtured an entire community, her extended family. Her passion for art, expression, and helping others look and feel their best kept Salon Pena open for 32 years. We will never forget her laugh. It shook us all, contagious, powerful, her sass, her wisdom, her heart that loved as big as the ocean. Kenneth Bird Reed, February 12th, 2022. A man of pragmatism and resourcefulness, Ken researched every big pur- purchase in consumer reports, or he just made it himself. Ken was a self-taught carpenter and an all-around handyman who built everything from birdhouses to his own two-century excuse me, two-story farmhouse in Edmonds Perrinville neighborhood. Ken was also an engaged community advocate with a particular dedication to education and to the arts. What I just read to you are partial testimonies of two lives recently ended. What I read to you are two real, random, partial obituaries from the Edmonds newspaper. I've said this before, I heard it from one of my favorite preachers, that reading obituaries is a good practice for Christians. It teaches us to number our days. And consider how you might be written about. In this section today, Paul gives testimony concerning two men that Paul became very close to. He knew them well, and he loved them deeply. They're not dead, of course, when Paul writes these words. But almost as a, as a completion to what he's been talking about in chapter 2 of this letter, he now commends them to the, to, to, uh, to the people of God in Philippi. They knew of these men as well. In fact, one of them was their own, and we'll get into that in a moment. 
And as Paul commends these two men and and speaks about them to the church, let's not forget the undercurrent in this letter, something that we've returned to again and again, something that drives Paul, and that is the issue of unity. Right As we've looked at already together, the gospel makes us in this room citizens who fight together, servants who love and serve one another, stars last week that shine together before the world. It's the gospel that has made this possible. It's Jesus that has done and is doing these things in our lives. And so these men that Paul speaks of are just another example. What these men received and lived out was grace. Grace that we want here today. And so today we're going to divide this passage for the next few moments. We're going to divide this passage into two sections. Speaking of the two characters that Paul brings up and let them each lead us to two encouragements. And we'll begin with Timothy. Kind of like the commercials from when I was a kid, like Mike. If I could be like Mike. The first point is this. Like Timothy... Fight your fears and strive for faithful, selfless service. That's a long point, longer than usual. Like Timothy, fight your fears and strive for faithful, selfless service. I recognize that that's a mouthful, but it encapsulates encapsulates what we find here as well as some of what we don't find here. Paul begins in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Now before we get to Timothy specifically, let's just talk for a moment about this phrase, in the Lord Jesus, that Paul uses there in verse 19. And then a similar phrase that he uses in verse 24 where he says, I trust in the Lord. I just want to pause for a second. Why do I want to pause? Because these are just subtle, simple, and yet significant reminders for us of Paul's thoroughly Christian worldview. Paul's not thinking much about it as he writes these words, but as Proverbs 16.9 states, a man's heart plans its course, but the Lord directs his steps. I don't think Paul was trying to make a teaching point by using these two phrases, in the Lord Jesus or in the Lord. It just kind of oozes out of him. right? We may think we're ruling our lives, but we aren't. As James encourages us in his book, in James chapter 4, if the Lord wills, we will do that. Or we will do this. Two, count them, two flat tires on two separate days this week reminded me of that. As two days got upended. We don't like this, of course, especially in our overscheduled, efficiency, idolicizing society. But it's a good reminder for us. If the Lord wills, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So let's get on to Timothy. Who is Timothy? We've heard about Timothy. 
certainly has a couple books in the New Testament that bear his name. Timothy was a young man. He was a disciple of Jesus that Paul met in Lystra. He became Paul's traveling companion there. It was actually not too long before Paul rolled into Philippi for the very first time. He met Timothy and brought Timothy with him. I don't know how much you know about Timothy, but Timothy was a third generation Christian. We hear about his mom's faith. We hear about his grandmother's faith. But even with that, Timothy wasn't as well versed in the Old Testament scriptures as Paul, the former Pharisee Saul. And as a country kid with a Jewish mother and a Greek father, Timothy just wasn't as confident as Paul, particularly in these like these city courtyard confrontations that Paul would have as he would walk in and see a statue to an unknown God and begin a conversation. That wasn't Timothy's style, it seems like. Why do I say all that? Why is that significant? Because it reminds us that Timothy wasn't superhuman. Neither was Paul, but we kind of think about them both as being otherworldly. But Timothy seemingly struggled with insecurity. He struggled with fear like me, like you. Listen to Paul's plea to the church at Corinth concerning Timothy. He says to the church, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am, so let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me. And then he encourages, Paul encourages Timothy directly in his second letter to Timothy, who at this point is a pastor himself of a young congregation. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I mean, maybe it was Timothy's youth. Maybe it was Timothy's personality, his introvertedness. Maybe it was other insecurities that he had in his life. But in serving the Lord, Timothy was human. (laughs) He had fears. He had anxieties. And I don't know about you, but this isn't encouraging to me. That God was pleased to use this young man And how did he press forward? Well, listen to this quote from from one of my former professors, Dennis Johnson, on how Timothy fought fear, and therefore how you and I can as well. He says this, How can Timothy keep marching forward in the face of fear? How can and should you persevere despite your misgivings, apprehensions, and fears of failure or of others' disapproval? The answer lies in reminding yourself daily, hourly, even moment by moment if need be, that you belong to a divine champion who has dealt the death blow to the worst of our enemies and who stays by our side as our ever-present protector. Yes, it's the Gospel 
It's our divine protector. It's our identity in Christ that keeps us moving forward. And so despite Timothy's fears, Timothy had proven himself over the long haul as a faithful and selfless servant of Christ. One whose life exhibited genuine concern for others. Verse 20, that phrase translated as genuinely concerned, it uses the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 6 when he says, don't worry. It uses the same word that Paul will say in Philippians 4 where he says, do not be anxious. In other words, this is a deep, visceral concern that Timothy has for the people of God, created and nurtured by the Lord Jesus himself. Because he so abides in Christ, Jesus' heart is Timothy's heart. And we know, people of God, that Jesus' heart is for you. It's for the church. And he knows your fears. And he knows your insecurities. And he says, and yet strive to serve me. Timothy was nothing flashy, nothing fancy, but just an ordinary, fearful, but faithful servant. Like Timothy, fight your fears and strive for faithful, selfless service. And that brings us to Epaphrodites. And the second truth this morning, like Epaphrodites, Here's how I've summed up Paul's partial testimony about him. Like Epaphrodites, take risks for the gospel. Take risks for the gospel. Now risk, that, risk has gotten silly in, in our day and age. It really has. With the rise of a little tiny device called a, a GoPro, <laughs> With social media, with extreme sports, plenty of people in the world are risking themselves by doing stupid things. Looking for that rush, that fulfillment, that fame. People are jumping off of buildings, they're surfing 30-foot waves. I'm not asking you to do either of those things. But according to verse 30, what does Paul say? Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus is a risk taker. He's risked his life for the gospel. He's risked his life for all the right reasons and in all the right ways. Epaphroditus, as we've talked about before in some previous sermons, he's a member of the church in Philippi. And he's a congregation member that we know very little about because he's only mentioned here. It's the only time we hear about him. And yet what we, what we deduce from this short account of his life is that he has laid aside his comfort, he's laid aside his convenience to travel from Philippi to Rome to deliver support and gifts to Paul that the Philippians had previously been unable to get to him. And it seems even by, by our passage that it was intended to be a one-way trip or at least much longer than it now will be. Paul's sending him back now to the Philippians. And like his journey to get to Paul in the first place, remember this is the first century ancient world. This wasn't a, buck, a bus ticket and, and a plane ride. 
inconvenience. This was weeks and weeks of treacherous travel, arduous travel, even dangerous travel. And Epaphrodites did this. Why? For the ordinary service of the kingdom of Jesus and the gospel. So Paul begins his description of Epaphrodites with three titles. And I want to just highlight them real briefly. First, he says, my brother. Well, that's nothing new from Paul. Paul has again and again created this familial atmosphere in his letter to the church at Philippi, a familial atmosphere that I want us to have here at Ascension as brothers and sisters in Christ, spiritual aunts and uncles, spiritual grandparents together as we serve the Lord as a spiritual family. But what's interesting about Epaphroditus is what does Epaphroditus' name sound like? Epaphroditus. His name actually implies a pagan past because doesn't his name sound like Aphrodite? Aphrodite, the Greek goddess whose name was likely evoked by his pagan parents over him when he was born. Epaphrodites, this thoroughly Greek man who now sits with Paul, having risked his life for the gospel and for Paul specifically, now sits with Paul as his brother. Paul, a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews, Epaphrodites, having the Greek goddess evoked over his birth, maybe. And they're one. They're brothers in the Gospel. And then he says, my fellow worker, that's not a fancy description, but one that simply conveys that there's work to be done. Right? The fields are ripe for harvest, but the worker is few. There's a common mission, a common king, a common kingdom. And you Epaphrodites is willing to be poured out to sacrifice for this gospel. He almost died. We can say, well, he, it wasn't like he was martyred. It wasn't like he was chased down for his faith. It sounds like he just got sick. Yeah, he got sick because he was willing to make this treacherous journey for the sake of the gospel. Because he was a risk taker. He was willing to get out of his comfort zone to get out of what was safe and secure for the sake of the kingdom. And then Paul says, he's also my fellow soldier. Paul's tapped into military metaphors before in this letter. We don't need to deep dive on this. It's just a simple reminder to us again that we, brothers and sisters, are at war. And that our enemy constantly wants us to, wants to lull us into thinking that we're at peace. But we're not. Our battles and weapons are not of this world, but are spiritual in nature. I struggle with this. In my comfort, in my peace, I don't pray because I don't believe that there's a battle going on for my soul, for our church, for the name of Christ. And so Epaphrodites is a fellow soldier. 
And so those three descriptors remind us that in the face of spiritual opposition, we battle as fellow servants of the King. We work, and as brothers and sisters in Christ, we love and serve. And all of this involves, to some degree, risk. So let's talk about risk for just a moment. What is risk? Here's one author's definition. Risk is an action that exposes you to the possibility of loss, injury, or even death. So you might risk your money. You might risk your health. You might risk your reputation. You might risk your credibility. Risk is scary because risk is born in our lives out of the unknown, right? But risk is foreign to our God. God knows no risk. We don't know, but our God knows. And the kind of risk-taking that I'm suggesting is not foolishness, but it's simply the kind of risk that A, recognizes that Christ is worth it. That Jesus is worth everything. And B, it recognizes that safety and security is ultimately a myth. We control increasingly what we can, But there are a million and one things that will always be out of our control. So abiding in Christ, living before a God who sovereignly upholds the universe by the word of His power, you're as safe in North Korea, as you are here, in one sense. Now again, that's not to say do something foolish and put the Lord to a test. No. The Lord often lets us feel the consequences of our foolishness. But it's just to dispel and to expose of this idea that if we risk it would just be that if we don't risk we'd be safer the bible is full the bible is full of risk takers isn't it esther this jewish girl's commitment to save her people attending her actions with the words if i perish i perish daniel And his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their refusal to bow down to a false god got them thrown into a furnace. It was a risk. They might have died. God still would have been good. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul himself, his beatings, his shipwrecks, and all the dangers that that he experienced for the sake of the gospel in his travels around the ancient world to get the name of Christ out, risking for the gospel. Now granted, these are all, uh, the, the, the examples I just gave you, these are all dramatic risks. 
Yours and mine, they're probably not going to be this dramatic. But they're still important, even if they're ordinary. Maybe your risk will be something dramatic like moving to the mission field, fostering a child with special needs, or another significant decision that puts you at risk. Or quite likely, your risks are a series of seemingly mundane stands. Right? Integrity at work, no matter what the cost. Gospel boldness with the, with the neighbor or a family member in the face of the fear of rejection and pushback. Finding selfless ways to serve rather than frittering away your time. Brothers and sisters, I ultimately, I can't be the Holy Spirit in your life. He works in my life individually as He works in yours. But I can invite you by His Word, like Epaphrodites, take risks for the Gospel. Two men whose lives were certainly more than what was written here in this brief account that Paul gives to the church. And yet what we find here is challenging. It's encouraging. Two brothers exhibiting family likeness in very different ways and yet living out the gospel in ordinary faithfulness and risk-taking. At the end of our days, at our own obituaries, or even before then, let's say even before then, may such things be said about us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the lives of these men who strove to live faithfully and selflessly, who weren't afraid to take risks to be inconvenienced for the Gospel. Father, I confess, we confess that we idolize too much our comfort, our security. Father, forgive us And give us the boldness of the gospel, the boldness of Jesus. The boldness of these men. And Father, as much as we thank You for these men, these men were just ordinary men, broken like us. So we thank You most of all for the perfect man. The Lord Jesus. The One who is worth everything. The One who did say, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So Lord Jesus, we forget not this morning your presence in our lives. We forget not the gospel in our lives. We forget not our champion who has gone before us and goes with us. Holy Spirit, would you impress even deeper and more firmly upon our hearts these gospel truths for our good and for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.